Hello, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Chai with Fry. To all of the returning listeners and to all of the new listeners, I hope you're having a swell day, a swell evening, a swell night, just a swell time. <laughs> Chai with Rai is a show I like to call my digital jukebox of hidden gems in which I reach out to working creatives in the entertainment and fitness industry. In the episodes, we discuss all things from life lessons to politics to socialism, culture, history, digital space, and of course, the industry itself. Now, just a little backstory of the show. Chai with Rai is a pre-recorded live show which I transfer to podcast. So to watch any of the videos of the show, simply go to YouTube and just type in Chai with Rai to find the relevant episode. You can also find the information on the episode itself or the guest in the bio or the description of the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, comment and share the podcast. Your support really helps the show and the message of it grow. Also make sure to follow the amazing people that are on the show and give them some love. But without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Welcome to episode 22. I had such a fun time on this episode and I hope you will too listening to it. We have author and a multi-talented woman in her own right, Shweta Agawal on the show. Wow, that sounded dramatic. But why I say multi-talented, it is because Shweta not only self-published and wrote the popular kids' books, Dev and Ollie. P.S. if you haven't purchased Dev and Ollie, go on and do so. You can now purchase it on Amazon globally. Also, if you're a friend of mine, you know I've gotten it for you, for your kids. And apparently... All of the people in my circle have decided to have kids this year, so just expect Dev and Ollie to be in your gift baskets, gift things. Yeah, you just gonna get it. But Shweta also is currently writing a novel called The Black Rose, which is inspired by her own experience with colorism in the South Asian community. She also owned a dance company called 3B, which ran successfully for over 10 years, and they were the first Bollywood dance company to feature and make it to the semi-finals of Britain's Got Talent. Shweta has also received Asian Woman of Achievement Award for Arts and Culture in 2016 and was invited by Her Majesty the Queen at Buckingham Palace for an event in 2017. And if you know, I die for the crown. Like season one and two, Claire Foy, I love you. One day I'm going to work with you. But I am just saying, like the crown is one of the best pieces of TV out there. The way that it's shot and the cinematography for it. So I naturally had to ask Shweta some fun and silly questions about it. Like how was it meeting the queen? What are the toilets like? Do you know what I mean? But we had such a good chat talking about that and the UK dance politics, the Bollywood scene specifically in the UK, how you set up a company and the logistics of how it feels to be a self-published author, her experiences with her accolades and also how she dealt with the low times. P.S. a slight warning. This episode was filmed last year during the pandemic. Um, So we started off by talking about the COVID crisis that hugely affected India. Also not just India but other places and we talk about that so I just want to say listen to it with care, handle it with the care. But without further ado, get your cuppers ready and let's dive into today's episode. Tell me how your week has been, how your day has been, how was it class that you were teaching? Um, so week has not been great, to be honest, with everything yeah. on in India. My, I think mentally I'm just not present here. Yeah. Uh, it's been extremely difficult because my immediate family is in India and uh, practically in the eye of the storm in Delhi. So um, 
it's been very, very difficult for me. Um, but you know what? I'm here. I'm helpless and I can't do anything apart from donating. And I've, after a few days, I've made my peace with that. And I just check in every day. Um, and I'm just blessed to, you know, to, to be here and to have the life that I have here. So, uh, yeah, yeah I, just trying to be positive and, um, and productive and just keep going, really. For all of those who watch this after who are just tuning in, um, yeah. just a little touch up on things. Um, India's rates for COVID-19 is at an extremely high. Mm. Hospitals are overloaded and the crematoriums are overloaded. I just want to touch upon this. Um, India is not the only country. There's countries like Yemen, there's countries like Syria, and so many other countries going through this. I think this is a human rights thing. Please, please, if you can, just check out some of the charities. Shweta, do you want to talk about any of the charities or just like... Yeah, absolutely. So I came across uh, cddep.org. Yeah. Um, and you know what? This is going to sound so awful because I don't even remember what it stands for now. Um, but I came across it because one of my um, uh, sister-in-laws messaged it to me on a WhatsApp group chat when I asked them, like, how can I help? And it's actually um, an, a legitimate organization. And I believe it's affiliated with the World Health Organization. Organization, yes. yeah. So um, in that sense, you know, it's, it's, it's good to, um, to donate to them. And they're in desperate need of oxygen supplies. So there's a link on their page that, uh, on their homepage, where you can click on directly just to um, donate to oxygen supplies. Also, um, there's another one that I came across called giveindia.org. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's Palsa Aid. Um, yes. And there's the British Asian Trust, I believe, that are um, putting together. They've got a whole list, you know, together. Um, so I've seen quite a few on Instagram. So, um, yeah, I'm more than happy to share them. Uh, maybe yeah. posts or stories or something. I've been doing that on my stories anyway. I think more than anything, I think charity work is great and aid work is great. But I think we need to bring awareness to certain things and discuss what is happening in terms of, like I said, it's not just India, it's Yemen, it's Syria, it's other, yeah. you know, indigenous or non-indigenous and undeveloping, developing countries around the world. So I think it's a human rights thing. And okay. if you're fortunate enough, and even if you have, I hate to sound like one of those things that, you know, the appeal thing, but this is literally one of those things that has affected everybody. And if yeah. you can donate a pound. Yeah. I agree. And if you have the privilege to breathe and, you know, just, yeah, if you're in a capacity, but, yeah. you know, that is that. Um, we're going to try and make this happy. <laughs> I don't know how to segue from that, but um, this, this is this is life. We get happy, we get sad, we cry, we get angry, we get angry. This is that. Yeah. Shweta, before we do anything, are you ready as part of the warm-up game to play Five Second Rule? Okay. This is a game yeah. I saw online. <laughs> It is called the five second rule. I will say name three things and you have basically five seconds to name them. Okay. okay? All right. This is Shweta Agawa's five second rule. All right. Are you ready? First yeah. question. Name three things you do after waking up. Uh, brush my teeth, uh, change my clothes, uh, make a cup of coffee. Oh, <laughs> so close. <laughs> okay. Three favorite dances done by... Sri Devi, the late great Sri Devi. Ooh, Hawa Hawaii, uh, the Nagin song, and uh, ah! <laughs> <laughs> he's my idol. I can't believe this. <laughs> I know, I know. All right, name three authors starting with the letter S. Ooh, this is tricky. Um, with S. Oh my God! Ah! I can't do this. <laughs> oh, apart from myself. <laughs> Somebody named, why am I thinking of Simon Pegg right now or something? Who is Simon Pegg? 
Why am I thinking of that name right now? Oh, God. <laughs> They're going to be like some random dude. Um, okay. I, I still can't think of it. This is terrible. There must, I can't be, believe there must be authors by the name of... There, many there must be beginning. so many. Yeah, there has to I've be got many. I've a whole like, bookshelf here. I, I know. Come on. <laughs> All right. Two questions. Name three Coldplay songs you can sing whilst cooking. Oh, my God. Now you're asking. Um, oh, God. Uh, <laughs> I'm so bad when I'm put on the spot like this. Um, Coldplay is one of your favorite bands. Come it is, on. yeah. <laughs> like, actually. And any I song. Even their concert. Um, I don't. This is ridiculous. But, okay, you can get this. <laughs> you can get this. This is the last one. All right. Name three foods you cannot live without. Uh, dal, um, rice, and chapatis. Desi at heart. Desi at heart. Well. You can relax now. You can finally breathe. Everything's fine. What's going to happen now for the rest of our chat is I'm going to be thinking about those three authors with S and I'm going to be thinking about the three songs. <laughs> Yellow. Um, I don't know. Like any, but actually that's one of my favorite songs by Coldplay, Yellow. Yellow. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. it. And then there's, um, I've got the tune stuck in my head and I don't know the, the title of the song. Okay, we're, 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 we're going to have to have another we're, we're, We'll do <laughs> just for the Coldplay. <laughs> um, I have a question to ask you. How does a girl who began her journey, I, I, this is through my research and talking to you, in Kobe, Japan, then moved for boarding schools in India and then graduated at Ramya Institute of Technology and then goes to UBS to become a business analyst, move into running a successful Bollywood dance company for 10 years, okay? <laughs> and then has three kids' books, okay? And now is writing a novel about um, The Witch's Black Rose, about colorism, and has met the queen, <laughs> and, and got the Asian Achievers Award for Arts and Culture. Thank you. <laughs> how, how, how many pivots? <laughs> <laughs> How does one, how does one go from such a strategic mindset, like such a bookie sort of mindset, be like, okay, I'm running a Bollywood company. I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm just kind of, you know, I, I, um, I have to say, I have to give the credit to my husband for this. Yeah. I really genuinely do. And I, and I wish that he was here to hear this. <laughs> um, but it's because of his support and not just financially, because he's the breadwinner to be, to be very honest, but also because of his, uh, you know, emotional support and his, 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 uh, his backing um, and his belief in me that I've been able to do all of this. Um, so I started with my dance company when I moved to London whilst I was working at UBS because that's my passion and it has always been um, from a very, very young age, um, yeah. age of six. So, um, I, I just started it as a hobby here. Um, I started running, well, I started attending a dance class that I found out about. Yeah. And when I attended that class, the very first time itself, the one thing that popped into my head was, wow, this is amazing. And I can do this. There is a whole market, you know, and there are the, here and there are people here who come to this dance class and they love it. I love it. And so I want to do something like this myself. And so that's how I started by just running a dance class once a week, uh, just mm -hmm. for fun because um, 
Amit, my husband, he worked really, really long hours in private, in, not, not private banking, sorry, investment banking. Yeah. Um, so he didn't come home to like 10 at the earliest. Oh, and so by the time I came home, cooked dinner, did everything, I still had two hours to kill. And so that's how it all started. And then, you know, one class to another class to another class, um, running six classes a week, I then actually realized I can really do this as a, as a business, essentially, or even just continue running classes like this and see where it goes. And then I think what was the, um, the stepping stone as such, it, it always just takes one believer, right, in you. Yeah. And the, the stepping stone and my believer, uh, other than Amit, was um, this production house who at that time, back in 19, well, 2000 something, they were the producers of uh, Footballers Wives. Oh, uh, yes, because you have done Footballers Wives, Paula Grady Show, BBC's yeah. Hustle, Hotel Babylon, just a couple of, you know, <laughs> just, just name better. dropping. Yeah, we just got so lucky. 3B has been so blessed and all the dancers and, you know, it, it wouldn't be what it was without any of this. Um, but yeah, essentially what happened was I was in Japan visiting my family over the summer break and I got a call, well, I got an email from this producer who asked me if I have dancers um, yeah. and wants to hire dancers for Footballers Wise for this episode with Lela Ruas. And I didn't even have dancers then. I just, I just lied. I just... <laughs> I just said, yeah, absolutely, not a problem. Like, you know, how many do you need? And he said six. And I was like, okay, yeah, not a problem. <laughs> I didn't even have one. And, um, you know, because he was like such a believer. And he said, by the way, I love your website. It's got a very Moulin Rouge theme to it. And so he didn't even ask me for any video clips. You've and taken down the website and I so badly want to see it. I know. It's like a showreel, by the way. And there's a show on there, which is massively a production. Yeah. It's a production and a half, that show. Yeah. That's only a show real. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, that obviously, like, you know, was a few years down the road. But then this is how it all started, because I then booked a flight back to London the next day, only so that I can audition for six dancers. Oh, God. <laughs> so after that is what basically, you know, gave 3B wings. And, yeah. and it's, you know, it started kind of being recognized and, and the best bit was that he didn't even ask me for a video or photographs. He just believed somehow in me. And when I came down to London, I was taking a risk because he hadn't actually confirmed that, you know, we are going to book you for this. Yeah. I just wanted it so bad that I was prepared to take that risk, that I'll yeah. fly down to London, audition six dancers, send, tell him that I've got six dancers available, and then let's see what happens. And uh, yeah, and then the rest is history. And uh, 3B then from that grew with the number of dancers because I kind of realized that that is really where my passion lies in choreographing routines with yeah. dancers. And I do love teaching classes, but this is something that I really want to focus on. And so basically 10 years later, we were performing, well, not 10 years, uh, five or six years later, we were on Britain's Got Talent. And then, uh, yeah, 3B lasted yes. about... 10 years. So yeah, it's been quite a journey. <laughs> I have a let as we're discussing 3B, bold, beautiful. Yeah. And was it Bollywood? Very was it Bollywood. The best, the very Bollywood. Very Bollywood. How did you, A, come up with the name 3B? Is that like, you were like, define Bollywood. What are the three things? And then you were like, okay, the 3B is a Bollywood. The, is that where it stems from? That's exactly how I started. Yeah. Oh, really? But, yeah. I mean, to be, actually, to be very honest, the, the very first name that I had uh, was Bollywood and Bhangra beats. 
Um, so the BBB, the 3B. And then I actually yeah. changed the company name and the slogan rather. Yeah. And then I called it Bold, Beautiful and Very Bollywood. And that stuck with a lot of people that <laughs> yeah, they liked it. <laughs> Back then, I have to say, okay, you have to give me a little bit of a lowdown because I'm very fascinated about Bollywood in the UK back in the day. Mm. From my knowledge and as far as I can go, there were only a couple of people, like there might be like five Bollywood dance companies. Now you can corner everywhere Bollywood dance company. Yeah. There was, correct me if I'm wrong, there was yourself, mm -hmm. there was Honeys, mm -hmm. there was Angels, mm -hmm. Eastern Illusion, did that come after or that was? Eastern Productions rings a bell. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. They, yeah. they were definitely around. Oh, and then yeah. Storm Productions. That. And then yeah. Naz did Flex in some capacity. He did. Yeah. 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 And there were a couple more. Um, oh, really? Was, um, yeah, there was the Sapne Dance Academy, which which still is going strong. It, Ash does, yeah. Ash does yeah, Sapne, yeah. yeah. And, and um, uh, what's the other one? Uh, who's run by, um, the, the academy is run by Rajeshri. Um, Shamak? No. No, Shamak. Name now, gosh. But yeah, they were around as well. They've been around for a while. Um, and, and then there was Nikita's Bollywood Dance Company. Oh, okay. I was like, there's only a handful now. Yeah. It's like well, a whole... I mean, there were, were quite a few, actually. Um, so oh, really? Quite a few. Oh, and there was Bollywood Grooves. How can I forget them? Oh, because, yes. Bollywood because Grooves. Is whose dance class I attended. Vandana. I thought Bollywood Grooves came after. Yeah, no, it was Vandana who started Bollywood Grooves. And right. I attended her dance class. And I think I actually um, scared her a little bit in the sense that let, let me pick my words carefully. Um, oh, I, I think I was very, very passionate and very excited yeah. about doing the Bollywood thing. So I remember asking her, like, how can I help? And, you know, I'm happy to, like, do this in partnership with you and blah, -de blah, -de blah. And I, that's what I meant by I think I scared her because, like, I was just oh. full on. <laughs> <laughs> and so I kind of went you know, my separate ways and started my own dance class. Um, but I completely appreciate that, why she would be so, you know, for whatever reason, she would, why she would feel that way because I was so um, overexcited about it. <laughs> I have a question to ask you. Yeah. Firstly, how do you think Bollywood in the UK has changed in terms of when you guys were around in terms mm -hmm. of 3B? And then to what it is now. And also, did the politics exist back then? Was the competitiveness and I don't, you know what I mean? We talk yeah. behind scenes of Bollywood scenes. Mm -hmm. um, did it still exist back then or it wasn't as much because social media and this popularity contest and mm. everybody could have a piece of the pie back then or it was exactly the same? The, the, the problem with competition in any field, whether it's yeah. Bollywood or anything else, is that I feel that people don't understand that there is a piece of the pie for everyone. Do you know what I mean? Like you don't have yeah. to fight for it as such. And yes, the answer to that question is yes. There were oh, there was God. definitely politics. Uh, they were <coughs> moving around. Uh, they weren't loyal as such to one particular team. Um, the um, yeah, there would definitely be like you know one, well several dance companies pitching to one client. <laughs> And, and that happens. That, that is life. Yeah, right? that, is. that happens in any job. <clears throat> that is life. So, um, but yeah, it can get nasty and mm. it has gotten nasty. But I have to say again, with 3B, I've been so fortunate that all the dancers I had in my team, I, I really 
believe that I gave them freedom and I'd never had any contract signed with them to say you have to stick with 3B. So I really do believe in that, you know, that that phrase where um if you if if you love someone you let them go and they'll come back yeah. to you with yeah. So they did from time to time perform for other companies and they would ask me. They you know, they'd be very honest and frank and I would say yeah, please go ahead and and I think that was one of the reasons why 3B lasted for that long for 10 years and we were such a tight group because we didn't have any internal politics. But yeah, you do get it. <laughs> <laughs> What were, other than Britain's Got Talent, what would you say were some of the highlights throughout the 10 years? So one of the biggest <laughs> highlights, I yeah. have to say, unfortunately that I couldn't share when we were actually going through it at that yeah. time, was us being invited to audition for the London Olympics. What? Yeah. <laughs> and we weren't allowed to announce that. We weren't allowed to share that with anybody. So Why? at that time, when uh, I got an email from one of the organizers, he had seen us perform at a festival. In fact, okay. he was the one who booked us for that festival. And then he said, we absolutely loved you guys. We want you to come down to audition. And I asked him, oh my God, that's absolutely amazing. By the way, can I just find, like, do you mind if I ask how many are you auditioning? And he said, oh, there's just three of you, including you. And oh. you know, it was like, wow, that's a real honor. Yeah. Um, so... We auditioned for that and we were given one week and I had to basically put together two three minute dance routines with 40 dancers. Yeah. <laughs> four zero or one four? Four zero. Oh. And that, as you can imagine, is impossible in five working days. And with 3B, all my dancers were working full time, all of them. Yeah. And so we were literally trying to like, you know, frantically look for rehearsal space every evening in different parts of London and trying to get all these dancers to attend every day. And I, I basically essentially just, you know, asked the audition team, I said, look, I'm really sorry, but I can't possibly do this, but I really want to audition. Can I do one routine? And can I, I have 30 dancers. I, I don't have 40. Is that okay? And they said, yeah, that's fine. And we auditioned and I'll never forget that audition because we auditioned in the exact same location where Footballers' Wives was filmed. My uh -huh. first game. So I walked into that production, uh, you know, set and that area, uh, and I literally had goosebumps. And I was like, oh my God, this is definitely a sign and we're going to get it. <laughs> well, we didn't. Hey. <laughs> because, because they preferred um, a traditional Bhangra team, but they gave us amazing. Uh, they said we were really, really amazing, but we just decided that we would rather go for a traditional Bhangra team, we, not with Bollywood. But that was one of the biggest highlights for us because I still, I wasn't allowed to film it in that production, <clears throat> in that room. Yeah. So I wasn't allowed to do anything because that was the largest space we had. All the studios that we were booking, yeah. there was hardly any space. So I could never get all the 30 dancers in one shot. Whereas with this massive warehouse, I could, but they wouldn't allow me to film it. So I still have that in my head. I've got the choreography and everything and how perfect everybody was. I've never been oh, more no. proud of it. Oh, no. Yeah, but that, that's definitely one of the biggest highlights. Um, how was the audition <laughs> process for Britain's Got Talent? Keep it Okay, so I, I, I hope I'm allowed to say this as well with Britain's, about Britain's Got Talent. So we got, well, I got an email um, from the production team. Um, yeah. Basically saying, we love you and we love your routines. Uh, can you come down to audition and can you come down to a live audition directly in Manchester? So... 
we bypassed uh, what I learned later. We bypassed- Not even London, y'all went to Manchester? We, we went to Manchester, yeah. And I was again given like one week and they wanted like 30 whatever dancers. And I think we ended up having 16 because I couldn't do that many. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so what I learned later was that we had bypassed the first round, which is where they have the, the kind of, you know, all the dance teams, all, all the talent come down to some sort of production company, you know, location. Yeah. where you see them in this kind of stage setup as opposed to directly on stage in front of the judges. So we went to Manchester and uh, one of the dancers missed the train in the morning. <laughs> that would be me. Can I just say, that sounds like me. I missed, <laughs> that sounds amazing. So yeah, so they missed the, one of them missed the train and we were, you know, as you can imagine, panicking. And, uh, you know, th thankfully he made it. And thankfully there was a lot of waiting on the other side in Manchester itself in terms of us getting on stage. So it all worked out well in the end. Um, and then after the audition, you know, we were just on such a, such a high. Um, and when we got the three yeses, you know, that didn't mean that we would be one of the 40 semi-finalists, right? We were just happy to be there and to have performed and, you know, all the 3B dancers, they are so passionate, equally passionate about, about dance and, bless them, just ready to go anywhere to perform. Um, and genuinely, genuinely, I mean, I, I can't say this enough, I couldn't have a better team. So when we did that, when we found out in May, I believe, when they announced the semi-finalists, mm -hmm. I realized that we probably are one of the semi-finalists because we were taken to this really amazing hotel. Oh. Where, you know, there was a whole spread of food there and, <clears throat> and all the teams that were there were really good teams. And so even though it was all meant to be a surprise, I kind of felt like this is where all the 40 sem semi-finalists are going. And the ones uh, that they have gotten, you know, said they've said no to yeah. are essentially sent back home. And it's not like everybody here in this hotel yeah. is going to be, uh, well, you know, some are going to be chosen and some not. Every, everybody came in screaming and jumping when they were told. Everybody. God. So I kind of felt like, okay, I think we're in. It's set up. But, but, but you know what? You never know, right? You've got, you're like, you know, your heart's in your mouth. And you're like, what's happening? What's happening? What's happening? What's happening? And, and then we got in. And yeah, I mean, the rest is history. We performed uh, as the first Bollywood dance company uh, on Britain's Got Talent as you know, in the semifinals, uh, yeah. And so <laughs> it was amazing. Um, questions about Britain's Got Talent, because lots of contestants come out and say certain things in regards to it being rigged. And I've spoken to some of the dancers in 3B in regards to this and stuff like that. Um, yeah. I think you've been very nice and politically correct in regards to your experience. In this. But I just want to talk the direction mm. in regards to your Bollywood company, because I think the Bollywood companies usually have a defined face. Mm -hmm. And though, am I correct in saying you did predominantly all of the choreography, right? Yeah. How comes you never chose to have like a predominant couple or like a lead? Yeah. Or like you just wanted it to be a cohesive sort of situation? I did. Um, frankly, I did my best to be fair. Um, okay. And having said that, I, I did choose a, a lead couple as such. Okay. Uh, on occasions where I really felt the need to. And I know that, you know, sometimes I got into trouble for doing that. And I know that, that sometimes, you know, there were a little bit, you know, some unhappy faces um, yeah. on the other side, but sometimes I just had to, I had to have a lead, uh, 
couple represent 3B. But the good thing is that we had, we actually had a lot of strong male dancers. Mm. So we had, and for that reason, because we had a lot of strong male dancers and, and female dancers, strong female dancers are much easier to come by, right? So it was actually easy to rotate the couples. Um, yeah, so quite often within our one medley, we would have yeah. one couple lead for one song and yeah. then I'd switch positions and have another couple lead for another song. And so I kept it like that and kept it fair. And also it's more um, engaging and uh, entertaining for the audience, right? Yeah. Because if they're constantly seeing the same face in the front, it, it, I'm not, well, it's not boring for them, but it just, it makes a change, isn't it? Because yes. every individual has something different to offer. Yes. Yeah. So um, I think you missed one of my questions, which I really want to know. Um, yeah. How do you think the industry has changed hmm. from when you guys, when 3B was around to what it is today? Yes, I did miss that. I'm sorry. Um, it's okay. So, <laughs> so I, what I personally really believe in uh, with Bollywood um, and Bollywood itself has changed, right? So it's not just the dance groups that we're talking about, right? We're yes. talking about the industry, isn't it? Well, yeah, the dance industry and Bollywood as general, it just as a pocketed in the UK, not like in terms of movies and things like that. Obviously, <laughs> movies and music has evolved and, right. you know, everything so is different. I do feel that for me, um, Bollywood is, you know, above everything else in terms of crisp choreography. It, it's about expression it's about really dancing from your heart. Yes. Yeah. And it's about completely letting go and, you know, going with that cheesy, but very, you know, cliche, but very true um, uh, saying, dance like nobody's watching. Yes. And, it, and when you do that, even if you make mistakes, nobody cares because they're just so in love with you loving yourself, <laughs> right? And just dancing and just enjoying yourself. And, I find that that element now in Bollywood itself as a movie industry in terms of, you know, what they have with their videos and everything. And in terms of the dance companies here, I just feel like that is lacking a little bit or that's mm. changed rather. Mm. Yeah. Um, because it's so much the, well, the importance is placed on crisp choreography. Yes. But the expression is missed. So I personally feel like that's what's changed. And that's what I really believe Bollywood was. And yeah. Are there any of the companies or individuals out here who are like dance active that you kind of like watch still from time to time and you're like, okay, I like you. Mm. I like you. Are there any? Would you like to name any? Yeah, 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 sure. So a couple of my own ex-dancers. Um, yes. Emiko being one of them. Uh, so talented. And, you know, I mean, literally like multi-skilled, right? We're talking yeah. ja being Japanese, a Kathak dancer, a street dancer, you know, Japanese dancer, Bangra dancer. Yeah, true. yeah exactly. And then there's Sajin. Um, oh, yeah, Saj. Yeah, Sajin is amazing. He's absolutely amazing to watch. And uh, I don't know if Sajin ever mentioned to you, he was 14 when he auditioned for us. Can I just say, <laughs> I was watching Sajin's video today and it reminds me, I'm not going to Sajin, if you're watching this, this is not a dig, but can I say, he reminds me of Saif Ali Khan in Hamtum. Because <laughs> of his 14 as well, though, by the way. Yeah. But Sa yeah, Sa Sajin has the most beautiful eyes. That, yeah. Like, you just, like, yeah. 
and he's he's just an amazing dancer and not just a dancer he's he's so good with his expressions and he literally is one of them who dances from his heart yeah um having said that i mean even you know the da- other dancers like uh, manna and rick and chella and hinal and um so many of them in my group so many of them um were just absolutely outstanding yeah uh, another person that i do really really uh, admire and watch um is uh, karan karan's dance company bangali case box uh, case box that's it yeah 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 i think he's a beautiful dancer yeah So I just started again over this lockdown period in the last yeah. year and uh, you know just do one class a week every Thursday um and I absolutely love it it's like I've reignited with my passion um choreography wise my dancers will vouch for this right because they knew when they walk into that studio with Shweta Shweta will not have anything prepared <laughs> I never had anything prepared it for real complete improvisation I used to get my ideas from literally looking at their faces and watching them <laughs> mess up with each other play the song and just be like freestyle freestyle you guys well i mean not freestyle but i would literally choreograph the minute i step into the studio and i would go by like the eight counts and you know eight counts ahead in advance when when they're having a little chat i'd be like okay right yeah got it let's do this now but i guess as i in the beginning it was obviously kind of a slow painstaking process right <laughs> but bless them they were patient and then i think you know as I got better. I started yeah. choreographing very fluidly. Um and it just kind of fortunately just came to me. Um and but again, it was just their energy that I would get, you know, my energy from and yeah. just, uh, ideas as well. Like the guys and the girls all of them were like, "Oh, well, you know, what about these four counts?" And, "Oh, can I squeeze something in?" And I'm like, "Yeah, go ahead." Absolutely. Go ahead. <laughs> and i think one thing that people don't mention about and i think you should quickly touch on it is like yeah. one thing the business of running a bollywood company damn or damn when cli- oh, when clients when clients call you up and they're like yeah i just want to one hour performances you know guests will come in and they just want to dance <laughs> i pay 50 pound per dancer and things like that when they don't realize yeah the rehearsals that it no. takes they don't the the money that is spent on like costumes costumes <laughs> the fact uh, on like just marketing alone in terms of like just website domains and things like that yeah and mixes of the medleys yeah and yeah. trading and just like oh my god just like so much and all the hours that you put in you know sitting behind your uh desktop right or laptop um, yeah your you know time is money Yeah. You're working for yourself, sure, you know, f- fair enough, but who's paying you at the end of the day, right? If if your clients have that attitude, isn't it? That is true. Uh, it it's shocking actually, and it's mostly the Asian community who obviously oh, want to bargain and, you know, squeeze every bit that they can. Any. So yeah. one of them I'll never forget was um uh some Asian uncle who called and said, uh, "Oh, well, you know, I want four dancers to perform at my niece's wedding blah 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 I said okay great well you know this is what our fee is and he said how much and I went well this is what our fee is and he said well you know you can I can get Sharon Khan to perform for that fee and I said oh well, please go ahead and do it then <laughs> <laughs> and when you invite, and when he comes can you call me over as well <laughs> I'll come for free exactly I'll come for free then <laughs> 
Yeah, I don't think people realize. And even when they want like wedding choreographies and things like that, they'll pay you like sixty pounds for an hour, like forty yeah. pounds. Yeah. And you'll just be like, guys, come yeah. on, studio. The other, the other um, shocking one was I got a call from Goldman Sachs, somebody in the um, events team at Goldman Sachs, and I'll never forget this either. She rang me and she said, oh, you know, we're looking for a Bollywood dance company for a Diwali event, bloody, bloody, blah. And I said, okay, great, you know, I'd love to. This is what our fee is. And she said, uh-huh. Um, I'm just, um, yeah, um, you know who we are, right? That's what she said. I kid you not. She said, have you heard of Goldman Sachs? <laughs> and I was just gobsmacked. And I said, yes, I do know of Goldman Sachs. Have you heard of UBS? Because that's where I used to work. <laughs> Did she think that she was going to get a massive discount because they're golden stuff? Yeah. Wow. So it's not actually just Asians. It's it's everybody. Somehow it, it's a real shame. Artists are not treated with enough respect and mm. not given enough importance. And yeah, I mean, people just take it for granted that artists will just perform with for you for, you know, a discounted fee and... Um, you can treat them poorly. It's mm. it's terrible, terrible. When I used to work for contraband events, yeah. uh, that was one of the key things. I always made sure when we did our bookings that you know our contract was ruthless when it came to protecting the artist. And that was that. I think it should be. I think there's unions now, but yeah. um, there'll still be like new companies or individuals who'll be willing to take like just expenses mm. or something because unfortunately you have to do gigs in order to build names. Yeah, um, which is fair. So. But then I think, you know, you, sometimes it also is detrimental because when you do that, they then treat you even worse. Yeah. If you know what I mean? Because they think that, oh, you know, they're a newbie. So, uh, you know, they're probably not that good. Or, yeah. do you know what I mean? Or so we can treat them like this. And that's yeah. so wrong. That is the industry, kids. That is the industry. Now moving on to happier times. <laughs> How did it feel to meet Her Majesty the Queen and also winning AWA's award for arts and culture? So I'll start with the award um, because that was, again, my stepping stone in terms of recognition for the books that I wrote, Devin Oli. I remember when you messaged me and you told me about that and I was like, oh my God! Yeah. Ah! <laughs> I couldn't believe it. You know, I, I actually refused to move from my chair. I sat there for 30 seconds and the, it was Riz Latif who was doing the um, uh, comparing and she announced my name twice. And my friend kicked me under the table saying, it's you. <laughs> And I just said, no, I don't think so. <laughs> because I just could not believe it. And there were so many amazing people. I mean, every single category, there were such amazing women who were yeah. nominated for it. And then if, even in the arts and culture um, you know, category, there were such amazing women um, who had achieved so much and you know, celebrities essentially in their own right. And I guess what I really, I'm not saying it just because I won the award, but I've seen this with AWA um, over the, you know, the, the kind of con con subsequently that um, since 2016, after I won the award, yes. that they don't just go for those who are super high achievers or already celebrities in their own right. They actually recognize the underdogs as well. And that's mm -hmm. what's really amazing about the AWA. 
And I think maybe that was one of the reasons why they recognized me. And their award was my stepping stone with Dev and Ollie getting into schools and getting into libraries. Because really? as a self-published author <laughs> in the literary world, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. Like they don't recognize you as an author. Yeah. Um, you know, sadly, that is the case. And, but I was determined to do this. And I thought, okay, well, you know, slow and steady, whatever it takes. And I'm going to do it my way and myself. And when I won the award is when I was able to then uh, blow my own trumpet about it to schools and libraries. And then after that, I got invited to Buckingham Palace again because of the uh, AWA organization. How was the day? Like, do you like, do you get sweaty palm? What is the training? Is, the, is it just as true as people say, you can't talk to her for this, you need to curtsy like this? Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, we, we had to go through that. We had, um, so when I received the invite yeah. and I opened it, it was in this beautiful envelope, very rich and, you know, very beautifully written. And you could, you could tell that, like, this is like... Do you still have it? Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, when I opened it, I actually could not believe what I'd just seen. And I thought it was some sort of, like, prank. So I actually asked, you know, I made, and I showed it to a few friends and I took, took a picture of it and I said, this, what, what, can you just explain to me what this is? Like, I'm literally like, I've got blank. I have no idea what this is. This can't be what I'm thinking this is. And they said, uh, yes, it is. You've just been invited by the queen to Buckingham Palace. And then I messaged um, Pinky Lalani, who's the chairman of the AW. Oh, wow. And I said, Pinky, I've just received this invite and I just wondered if, this has anything to do with the AWA and I wondered if you, <coughs> you know have uh, shared an invite um, and she said yeah that's right I put your name down as one of the wow. invites to come along with me I mean wow right that that is like a double accolade because I wasn't just going to meet the queen at Buckingham Palace but I was put forward by Pinky Lilani the chairman of the AWA it was just unbelievable i mean obviously i met pinky there and you know so many other amazing people and um that that whole evening was just a blur because i was on such a high and you know, my, you know when your jaws ache by the end of the evening as well because you're just so happy. smiling <laughs> you're so happy and now you're literally smiling from ear to ear and you're like wow when i came out my kids and amit had actually come to pick me up so oh, wow. my husband texted me saying, we're outside the palace. <laughs> and it was just the most amazing thing. It was really just so sweet. And um, the queen herself, her majesty, she is so humble and so, so um, gracious. So, um, yeah, so <coughs> gracious. And she was so full of life. She was so um, uh, friendly. And she went around talking to everybody. She shook everybody's hands and well, you know, with her gloves on, obviously. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we were told in, as part of the invite, um, the letter mentioned how to, you know, kind of curtsy and, and learn how to curtsy before and how to yeah. address her. And uh, I mean, it, it's not rocket science, right? Like a courtesy is a bow. And, and I was getting nervous just about that. I was practicing it in my hallway <laughs> before I left for the palace. <laughs> How many times did you change your outfit or you knew you were going to wear this beautiful forest green embroidered sari and uh, how your hair was going yeah, to be or like yeah. so there were a few changes and you know there was a, yeah. a fashion show 
<laughs> and uh, my daughter giving me advice on like what to wear and what to do and she's like please you know i love your hair but please do something about it when you go see the damn <laughs> savage savage <laughs> she's like you have to have it like done <laughs> like okay um so i got my hair done i got my makeup done i mean it's once in a lifetime opportunity, it a, right? If that. It was so, an event. It was an event. All right. Well, that is a queen. I was actually going to... Okay, one of the things I'm eagerly wanting to ask you, how's the toilet? Did you use the toilet? I did. Wow. I mean, the toilets were the size of my house. For real? <laughs> it was like, literally, the ladies itself was like oh. the size of my entire house. <laughs> it was amazing. I, I just cannot... Um, recall everything because when you're that ecstatic you just like you know what I mean everything becomes a blur but I remember um obviously seeing the queen not just there the picture that yes. you had, um but actually she then went around and she actually mingled with everybody and she oh. made conversation and she actually was interested in knowing what people are doing and why they're there you know what did you say I, mean, I think I literally got one sentence in saying uh, I write children's books and, uh, you know, Devin Ollie with with a South Asian boy representing our culture. And she said, how wonderful. Um, and, you know, my, those two words are enough. <laughs> but how did becoming a wife and becoming a mother change your perspective on the external things you were doing. You, you just go through life and you allow life to take you where it takes you, right? And you have to prioritize that moment in, in your life where you realize, okay, you're moving on to another stage or another phase, or you've taken another path. And that's, you know, essentially what happened. You, you don't even think about it, to be honest. It's just life taking over its course. And when I was pregnant with my first uh, well, with my daughter, I remember choreographing to the Turkish Film Awards and I had two weeks to go. Yeah. So when Sergeant came to audition, I was heavily pregnant. He didn't, he, he, you know, he had to do a double take when, I, when he walked in and he said, oh, you know, where's the who's the choreographer? He was looking for the choreographer. And I was like, hi, it's me. And he went. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then with my son, I actually started getting labor pain the evening of the final filming for no, no, Hustle, Hotel Babylon. We had a three-day filming uh, session, uh, all three days in, I think it was Park Lane Hilton. I remember this vividly. The director actually came up to me and asked me three or four times, are you okay? Because I was absolutely exhausted and I ac actually ended up going upstairs to the hotel lobby and falling asleep on a couch. And I was heavily pregnant. And that evening, the last day of filming, when everybody wrapped up with a team of 200 people around, um, he announced, you know, the thank yous and everything. And he said, there's one person who has done a smashing job. And I was like, oh yeah, who's that? That's amazing. You know, I was looking around and then out comes this massive bouquet of flowers and he gifted the flowers to me. And he said, Shweta, oh. welcome. We cannot believe that you're here. With, oh you know, no. Yeah. It was amazing, absolutely amazing. And it was so heartwarming. And I started crying immediately with my hormones all over the place. <laughs> and, and I, I just, this is what's going on. <laughs> I was so touched. And um, this 
gonna make you really laugh now. So <laughs> I was so attached and so excited. Suddenly I'd forgotten all about my pain and about the fact that I'm absolutely exhausted and I've been on my feet since seven in the morning for three days. I rang Amit and I said, can I go for a drink with all the dancers, please? I really want to celebrate <laughs> with them. And he went, are you out of your mind? <laughs> and I went, no, please. And he's like, yeah. then he actually spoke to one of the other dancers. And I think it was Rick he, who he spoke to. And he said, um, Rick, put her in a taxi and get her home now. <laughs> <laughs> so I arrived home and within five minutes, I was like, I mean, I think we need to go to the hospital. <laughs> and I delivered my son that very morning at four o'clock in the morning. Oh, wow. So it's, it is, <laughs> Can uh, yeah, I go call, call, the me call me crazy or whatever, right? <laughs> but I was back to doing um, rehearsals and back to the dance studio uh, two weeks yeah. after delivery for both my kids. So yeah, with both of them. So, um, you know, I, I can't keep away from dancing, right? <laughs> Yeah, but did it not change your perspective? I always say, so like, I've worked for, so, I think like I've worked for so many Bollywood choreographers and just people in general, not Bollywood, like in entertainment. Mm. And people always say, like your perspective on life changed so much. Your priorities stay different. Mm -hmm. And I've seen people not become carefree, but like just prioritize life difference. So like, you know, like if it's a situation like that, they'll be like, okay, I need to take my health first. I need to look after my children first. Yeah. But did nothing change or did, if anything, you were like, no. Things did change. Um, yeah. I mean, 3B was literally my third baby, <laughs> right? And that's how I saw it. And so I was prepared to do whatever it takes to carry on and to keep going. And I did for another yeah. six years. So yeah, Lakshya was born in 2008. So yeah, 14 is when I wrapped up. So six years I continued and things did change. And there was a pivotal moment which I'll again never forget. What happened in this room where I am right now, which was the kids' playroom, is my daughter sat on this little chair and you know her little play table, and she was trying to serve me tea in her little teapot and her little cups and saucers and everything. And uh, and I was on the phone, and I was trying to respond to a client and re reply to an email and you know all of that. And she said, "Mummy, mummy, mummy," and I said, "Yes, Rena, I'm here." And she said, "And this is coming from a four-year-old girl." Your she, kids are very smart beyond their years. Can I just say, they are bright kids. They make me feel stupid. Oh, nothing like that. <laughs> she literally said, mommy, you're here, but you're not here. Oh, God. Yeah. And That's some I ancient was, Japanese proverb situation. Yeah, exactly. And I'll never forget that. And I knew exactly what she meant. Yeah. Um, that I was just mentally not present. And I think that was the day I decided and realized that I have to change. Something has to change here. Because one of the biggest things with running 3B, uh, the biggest problems as such that I started to see as a problem was that unlike a job, a daytime job, my work began in the evenings. My dancers, oh, yeah. with, my, with my dancers began in the evening. And, you know, weekends as well. Sunday rehearsals, I was gone for four or five hours at a stretch. And what I realized when my kids started going to school, and that, that's when Reina started, right, at the age of four, that if I didn't see, them, see her during the day and I didn't see her during the evening, I didn't see her at all. Mm. She was being put to bed by my, by, you know, my nanny. Um, oh, it wasn't even by Ahmed. 
yeah, or because Amit was working late. So there were occasions where if I had a corporate event or a big event, then, you know, I'd be rehearsing on a Thursday night or Friday night. And then Saturday night, Amit and I would be out for dinner or something. And then Sunday I'm out. I hadn't seen her during the, you know, I hadn't seen her for an evening for several days. And I realized how ridiculous that was. And that's when I decided, okay, I need to really change things here. Or if I can't change, then I have to let go of 3D. And I, have wow. to, and I have to wrap up. And that's when I kind of started to wrap up. Um, and it took me about two years to gradually wind down and not engage with so many events, you know, not take that many bookings. Was it? Oh my God, I want to move on. But 3D just keeps coming back. I want to move on to like <laughs> Devon Ollie and the Black Rose. But I think like, was it sad for you to get let go of 3B? Because I know you offered, if I'm correct in saying we spoke about, you offered it to Ricky or somebody? Sure, and he didn't want Shabir. Yeah. And he didn't um, want it. It, ha it just so happened to me that Shabir at that time, coincidentally, was, uh, I think, either changing jobs or actually moving out of London yeah. or just traveling a lot more. And I think it was in the Middle East that he was going back and forth to. And um, he couldn't take the responsibility. He just thought, you know, I can't, you know, uh, as, as honored as he, as he said he was, he just didn't want to uh, take that responsibility. And also, I think also the dancers started to um, move on and get married and settle down. And so it was one of those things that just kind of naturally <coughs> came to, you know, its course. And, um, and then I just didn't, I, I auditioned for like a few new dancers and I, I hate to just say didn't. it, right? But I didn't feel it. Yeah. The, 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 the family that we had with 3B, I didn't feel that connection with a few new dancers who came on board. Yeah. And they were amazing. Don't get me wrong. Um, Dara. Dara is one of them. Oh, Dara, yeah, yeah. Beautiful dancer. I mean, outstanding. And she was part of 3B. And, and Vinod, again, another male dancer. Amazing. But I think somehow I just kind of felt like this has run its course. And I need to, I need to move on and let go entirely. Because if I hold on to just little bits here and there, I won't be doing justice to it. And so I basically wrapped it all up and uh, left kind of on a high um, with um, Srishti Mittal's wedding in Barcelona because I was their family choreographer for yeah. a you know, good couple of years. And so she invited me to her uh, wedding because I was choreographing her dance routine as well as her family's. Um, so yeah, that was another high. Like, you know, how amazing to kind of you know, wrap up 3D with that being the last gig, right? Would you ever do a reunion show with everybody? <laughs> with, the, with the OG gang when like things have kind of, I would love the OG Bollywood companies to come together and just do a nice little event. Yeah, that would be so amazing. It would be and maybe give the money away to charity. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, dance totally. for charity. Oh, I know, I know my dancers would totally be up for that. For I sure. think you should. Yeah, I we talk about should. reunions all the time. And then, in fact, we had one, I think, planned for August 2019. Yeah. And I think somebody was about to deliver a baby, and so it didn't happen. And, and then, of course, after that, you know, we... Yeah. Out of the pandemic, Life. nothing ever happened <laughs> since then. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we definitely um, <coughs> want to do one. And I know that they'll all be up for it. <laughs> I'm here for that. I will be front row and center. <laughs> Cannot wait for that. And hopefully you'll perform as well. Yes, for sure. <laughs>
Dev and Ollie. Dev and Ollie. Yeah. How and why? Let's just do a quick one because I'm I've heard so many times and we've spoken so many times. Let's yeah. just do a quick two seconds. Okay. Of what, why Devon Ollie is so important? Yes. You guys need to purchase a copy. Okay, <laughs> Amazon worldwide. So thank you. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> okay, so Devon Ollie really started, and it kind of well, its birth was pretty much uh, Raina's comment. Um, how she said, "Mummy, you're present, but you're not here. You're here, but you're not here." And so that got me thinking about, um, you know what do I do next if I have to wrap up 3B and I want to be here for my kids and I want to see them grow. And then what also happened is because she started, um, started to attend school, when she started bringing home books, all the books that she was bringing home were either, well, picture books, were either animal focused and yeah. uh, you know, no human characters as such, uh, which is a huge thing in picture books, um, or they were essentially um, Caucasian kids. Um, and she didn't bring home any books that represented um, South Asian kids. And so that is what got me thinking about the lack of representation. And um, yeah, and I started thinking about, you know, how can I represent a South Asian child and how can I make it fun and not just, uh, oh, I'm just doing a book because I, I want to have a kid that represents our, our community, but something fun. And so that's how I then added um, Ollie, the side kick character Ali the owl and the yes. entire series is all about festivals so essentially i put together the characters dev and then wanting a sidekick to make it more fun and interesting for kids uh, so ollie the owl yes. and um, the whole concept and the whole series is based on festivals and their festival adventures right now it's you know primarily indian festivals the next book that i'm going to launch as well is the fourth and final one in the indian festival series oh, oh okay Oh God, is that the Kerala one? Yeah, no. After that, I plan to move on to international festivals, uh, the Tomatina Festival in Spain being one of them. So um, yeah, so that's how Devin Oli came about. And Devin Oli is, you know, really why I got the award and why I met the Queen. And now I've moved on to writing The Black Rose. Let's talk about Devon Oli. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I say Dev. It's yeah. Dave. <laughs> Dave as in Deva, Dave, yeah. Dev and Ollie. Let's just talk about some of the challenges, though I think the messaging is beautiful and things yeah. like that. Mm -hmm. I, if it's okay with you, I think people mm. should know that it's not all just painted and pictures. Yeah. You really like grafted, you worked hard. Like I would see you emailing schools and just like trying to get in for or libraries from like just mm. wanting to do talks and wanting to do like reading times, Waterstones, any of the sto like stores mm. just to do a little read. Yeah. How hard sometimes it is to work with a, I want to say animator or um, cartoonist? Illustrator. Would you say? Illustrator. Yeah. Illustrator yeah. and like going back and forth in regards to that. And then promotion itself and self-financing. And I think mm -hmm. at that point, you weren't working at UBS or anything. You didn't have 3B, anything. You were solely just devoting your life to Dev and Ollie, if I'm correct in saying. That's right, yeah. Completely self-funded and, yeah, you know, really kind of feeling that pressure as well. And you, you put that pressure upon yourself, right? So you make it harder for yourself, essentially. Um, and that's just human nature, isn't it? Um, it was so difficult, so, so difficult because... The number of times uh, I've been rejected because I'm self-published as opposed to, you know, being a published author is what they yeah. call it. 
literary world, are you a published author? Um, when you say, yes, I am, I have my books published, that doesn't mean anything. It, when they say published author, they mean published by a publishing house, by a publishing company. And, you know, even going to um, the uh, London Book Fair, that was hard itself because I walked around my book and tried to get the attention of all the big publishing companies and, you know, showing them like, oh, this is what I've created. And having said that, you know, I know that I've already created it, but is there any um, chance that you would consider it, publishing it through your publishing house? And there was absolutely no interest, no interest at all. One of them went as far as to saying, um, oh, she looked at the book and she looked at the cover and she went, oh, Devin Ollie, okay. Um, and she just kind of flicked through the pages and she went, so this is for like a niche audience then, right? And I just looked at her and I said, why do you say that? If it was Fred and Ollie, is that when it will not be a niche audience, it'll be a wider audience, just yeah. because it happens to be a South Asian boy. And so I was really upset by that comment and, I, and even more determined to you know, do something. And what happened, and again, this again takes just one believer, right, uh, in, in you. So what happened then is I went to the Amazon store and I walked in and straight away when I spoke to somebody there and I said, um, you know, who can I speak to about, about the books here? And you know, I'm a self-published author and Amazon has got this amazing platform called Create Space through which I self-published the books. He said, you can speak to me. I'm the head of Amazon Create Space. And I was like, cha-ching, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I spoke to him and I you know, showed my book to him. And then he said, sent an internal email to um, one of his colleagues, copying me on it, saying, check out her book. It's, it looks amazing. And so after that, that colleague of his then gave me a boost on Amazon with um, their um, flash sales. Where they have, you know, like 50% off and it's like a flash sale that lasts only like literally a couple of hours. And so that got me a massive boost. And once you get that boost on Amazon and your books are then recognized and, you know, you're on the whatever top one page, two, three, five pages, then people can see your book. Right. And so you just have to keep persevering. This is the one lesson I've learned with whether it's 3B or Devin Ollie. I mean, I have had failures, as we've just discussed. Um, schools and libraries wouldn't even bother responding until I got the award and until I then added on saying I've met the queen and then it was yeah. like, open doors please come in and you know what do you what would you charge as opposed to expecting me to do it for free <laughs> um, so it's really really hard and disheartening but now it's been what seven years yeah no six years later I can proudly say I actually have schools buying the books and I have schools messaging me saying, we've just you know, bought all three of your books. And by the way, this term, we are going to be studying you as an author. And they're sending me pictures of what kids have created in terms mm -hmm. of what they've learned about me and a timeline of me. And it's so, so, so rewarding and one final thing that I've actually, I can proudly announce here now is um, the New York Public Library oh. also embraced Devon Ollie. That's huge. I mean, absolutely oh my God. huge. So six years later, you know, slow and steady, slow and steady, uh, book sales literally drip fed gradually with Amazon's boost, obviously that made a huge difference. Congratulations, like literally. Oh, you know, things. Yeah, it's um, it's relentless. 
uh, when you run something yourself and you know whether it's a business as such um, or it's something that you're just passionate about which you start off as purely something that you know is a passion and not necessarily a business I think passion and perseverance are two terms that you could pretty much use interchangeably right because yeah. they kind of hand in hand don't they oh my god the New York thing literally just made me smile congratulations <laughs> like literally because I know how hard you work and I, I think it's so sad when you believe in something and it just I, it pains me to see it's like when you have a talented friend or you you have so many people and you're just like why is the world not giving it its recognition mm-hmm. and when you see its potential and I'm just like why and that yeah. that that made me felt that way about Devon Ollie oh um, and about you as well so I'm I'm very happy to hear that and I'm very happy do you think now you're at some sort of do you think now you're at peace in regards to Yes. Yeah. I think uh, very much, very much. I am so happy with what I've achieved because, you know, so this is something I'm going to op- openly admit, right? Um, when I came up with the concept of Devin Ollie and I started churning out these books and th- there's a lesson to be learned in this, right? I was so overconfident. I said to my husband, oh my God, this is like literally a million dollar idea. You know, I can see like... Um, hey, Disney it still is a million. All, it's Disney, still a Disney... You know, <laughs> I literally said to my husband, oh, you know what? Disney is going to want to make a, a cartoon series out of this. You know, Devin Ali, like just like Dora. And yeah. I honestly, genuinely thought, oh, I'm going to be a millionaire in like a year. Right. And it's just going to skyrocket. Everybody's going to share Devin Ali on Instagram and on Facebook. You know, people are going to be talking about it. I felt flat on my face. Literally, because I, people loved it and realize that, you know, oh, this is amazing. And this, this definitely something here. And, you know, uh, it's great to have that representation. They buy the book and that's it. Like mm. I would ask them to leave a review. Not everybody would leave a review. Um, you know, you would say like, oh, thank you so much for sharing. And, you know, well, thank you so much for buying the book. And would you mind sharing it? People, people didn't. And I'm not saying that they should. And I'm not um, having a rant. I'm just saying that I yeah. have a big lesson from it. And I fell flat on my face and I realized life is not so easy. It doesn't come so easy, right? You have to work really hard for it. And instead of focusing on the monetary reward, focus on your passion. And that's what I'm doing now. And now that I've learned that and started doing that, it's coming to me. Do you know what I mean? Because everything that I'm doing, whether it's Devin Ollie or the Black Rose, I am just focused on speaking from the heart and I hope that it resonates with people and and it is and that's where there's a very gradual growth in followers there's a gradual growth in people sharing and talking about it and people connecting me to other people saying yeah I wouldn't have come across the New York Public Library if it wasn't for a friend who connected me with another person who is in New York who got her foot through the door with New York yeah. Public Library you know so, yeah, I've definitely learned that, that it's focus on the right thing. Don't focus on the prize. Focus on your path and it will take you to the prize. Do you think the perception of self-published authors and brand authors in the literary world mm-hmm. has changed now? Have you experienced it for yourself? Brown authors, yes. Um, there are plenty of South Asian, 
amazing authors out there. Um, Nikesh Shukla being one of them, Satnam Sanghera mm -hmm. being another one. Um, I mean, Arundhati Roy is, you know, a world-renowned author, as we know. Um, there are amazing, amazing brown authors out there that have got amazing recognition. Self-published authors, still uh, a way to go. Oh, really? Yeah, still. Um, because somehow there is that um, kind of preconceived, you know, conceived, uh, what's the word? Notion. What's, notion, yeah. Um, that yeah. if you're self-published, that you're not good enough because you couldn't get a publisher. Ah. Exactly. So, <sighs> but having said that, people are just doing it now. A lot more people are self-publishing and just saying, well, you know what, you can think what you like, yeah. but I'm going to do it my way because I want to do it my way. I want to be in control and they're proving them wrong. True. You know, so. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about the Black Rose. Mm -hmm. I think I'm going to read a little bit out of your prologue that you shared, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah. And I just, after the prologue, there's three things in all of my research that I found that just hit home to me. And I would love for you to just explain that. Um, the Black Rose, your prologue. Ever wondered Sorry, what can I just interrupt? Yeah. Satnam Sanghera. And I know <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and, I, and I hope that Oh my God. <laughs> For those of you who have joined us, that's the five second rule game where you have to name all this. Shut up. As I was getting into my beautiful. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I'd forget otherwise again. It's okay. <laughs> Okay, the Black Rose, the, uh, this is the prologue you shared on your Facebook. Um, <clears throat> ever wonder, actually, do you want to share it or should I read it? I don't know if you have the prologue in, in front of you. I don't have it in front of me, but uh, no, you, you go for it, go for it. <laughs> the, uh, if I don't do it justice, just go for it. Um, ever wondered what effect <laughs> persistent bullying has on a six-year-old? Ask a 43-year-old, ask me. Over the last few months, I found myself sharing numerous stories of my past with my two children and husband. Triggered by the Black Lives Matter movement after the brutal death of George Floyd and where I have experienced color prejudice or insensitive remarks about my brown skin tone, my path has come back to haunt me, uninvited and unwanted. A dark past, or as Indians would call it, a kala past. That's the first section of your prologue and you go on to talk about your child, like so many beautiful things. I think three things in my, in my entire research of you, what hit home was, I, I can't remember the rough age you talk about this. I'm gonna just say for the sake right now, it's four, you can correct me. It's when you expressed to your aunties that you wanted to be a Bollywood actress or you wanted to go into Bollywood and one of your aunties says you're too dark and hearing the first time the word Gali. Mm. And you mentioned it that in regards to blushing, being purple, mm -hmm. because when you're dark skin toned, you don't turn rouge, you turn a bit purple, purpley sort of complexion. Mm -hmm. That hit home to me. The quote, which is the Chinese proverb, because you grew up in Japan, mm. white skin covers seven floors. Yeah. And then the third thing, I just, oh my God, I it, it just got me really going, which was, when your daughter was born, 
and when you held yes. it for the first time you yeah. do you want to say that yeah so oh gosh where do i begin so i was 6 years old when um, yeah. my aunt you know brutally and uh, very vehemently kind of mentioned oh you can't you know what are you doing dancing and you know you've turned there's actually a hindi phrase called kali kaluti bang and looty which means yeah yeah i don't know if you've heard of that which means you know you you're as dark as as an eggplant and as an aubergine so um that uh was obviously the phrase that she used and aubergines are like purple right so um yeah yeah and you know based on your kind of skin tone and your color and how you turn purple and that was the first time that i was not just made aware of my color um that i'm kali but also the fact that she said i can't be a bollywood actress because i was dancing and that's what i wanted to be when i was 6 years old i wanted to be a bollywood actress and you know my passion in dance began then and uh, and she said you you know who are you kidding you can't be one because you're too dark and that was the day i realized that actually it's not just in my family and it's not just kind of you know um prevalent in in a community it actually goes it infiltrates to bollywood and in fact or the other way around bollywood is a representation of south asians as in indians rather right and yeah they're not representing indians correctly really because they don't have any dark skinned actresses in bollywood so that was heartbreaking and i was told that like that was the first time but it, i was told that on multiple occasions so i kind of made my peace with the fact that i would never be a bollywood actress because i, I can't uh, because of my skin tone and so i kind of settled for the next best thing which is running a dance company here <laughs> and you uh, never know you never know yeah. you um, never know and then with um well <laughs> not at this age <laughs> hey you never know if one of like if saj you know becomes the next biggest thing and then saj like Shut up. Please mom. Yeah, fine. <laughs> no, but he's like I I've got a role for you. Yeah. <laughs> There you go. Exactly, exactly. So uh yeah, and then with my daughter because I've been through such a horrific journey to be honest because that was just the start of it that comment. Yeah. I happen to be dark skin born to very fair parents. So as you can imagine that came with its own set set of uh you know difficulties. Um yeah. and bullying uh, my brother is also very very fair and after that because i was in a boarding school for 3 years that sense of that feeling of abandonment you know uh, was already there and that complex was already there so i think maybe i i don't know if i was being too sensitive or oversensitive but you know what having said that pointing out somebody's color and making fun of somebody for their color is not that's not on right that's just wrong in every way isn't it so being called the ugly duckling in school was just the tip of the iceberg um once i moved to japan and uh yeah i mean so much happened so much happened that the complex was so deeply ingrained in me that you know i've openly admitted on various other interviews and, and podcasts that i did use the cream the fairness cream for the longest time um fair and lovely fair and lovely exactly fair and lovely you know well done for changing calling it glow and lovely but does that really i know What was that about? Seriously, what the <laughs> hell was that about? I know. Um so yeah, uh when my daughter was born, I remember very vividly thinking this. The first thing that I thought when they placed her on my chest after she was born, and I looked at her color and I looked at mine and I just went, thank God she's there. Because I didn't want her to go through everything I've been through. So, it's heartbreaking, right? To have to think that. But 
when I shared that on social media, a lot of mothers immediately resonated with me and said, I know exactly what you mean and I know how you feel because actually so did we. Why do you think yeah, colorism yeah. exists just generally and especially in our community? Because we have literally the darkest of the dark and the fairest of the fairest. And mm. and I just, I don't yeah. understand where this comes from. You know what? I wish I had the answer to that because I'm asking the same question every single day. But, um, and it, because it angers me, you know, it's so difficult to talk about colorism all the time. And I have to admit, it's been very, very draining because that's what my whole page is about, right? On Instagram and Facebook and yeah. the entire book. I'm literally living, breathing, eating, sleeping colorism all day long. And forget about the, those who are following me. I mean, I find it draining and I can't even imagine what those who are following me feel. But I'm on a mission to make a change so that, you know, I have to kind of bear the pain and then and just keep doing it, you know? Um, what, yeah. Why does it exist? Why does it still exist? Be frozen, yeah. I think the biggest reason now I feel is I have to say the beauty industry because it started off mm. with the caste system and the class system way before um, colonization, right? And then came colonization. And then after that, the amalgamation of the three things put together basically then left behind this notion that fair skin is associated with wealth and power, yeah? And dark skin is basically representation of you coming back, coming from a poorer background or a poorer family or like, you know, the peasants and the farmers working out in the fields, et cetera. The, the, the labor class, yeah, in, mm. in, in every way. And so that then somehow got translated and shifted, the, the focus shifted from wealth and power to beauty. And then what I have a real problem with is it's not just, it's not beauty for both men and women. It's, it really, really, really then focused on beauty uh, standards for females. And yeah. men don't have to face colorism as much as women do, right? Not even one tenth of it, I would say. Um, tall, yeah. dark and handsome is still very much accepted in the you know in the community and ironically it's these tall dark and handsome men who still demand fair wives and the pressure because of uh, of that uh you know notion and that desire for men to want fair wives has then yielded into um, women succumbing to colorism and then succumbing to fairness screens and as we all know with anything commercial with any products the way life works is supply and demand. The more people buy the cream, the more they'll sell the cream and the more and the bigger they'll get and the more they'll sell in other countries and so on and so forth. So it's not just India now. You get fair and lovely here. You get it on Amazon here. You yeah, know? you're talking about um, Korean. You were talking about course, Korean beauty products think, as well. So Korea is huge with skin whitening products. Uh, so is Japan. Um, Japan has this uh, proverb, you know, seven, uh, sorry, uh, white skin covers seven floors. But <coughs> having said that, that proverb is not just in terms of uh, color. They believe that it covers seven floors in terms of like blemishes or pigmentation in your skin as well. So it's not just to do with color, but still they're, they're the thinking that if you're fairer, you're covering your floors 
I still don't understand. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And young girls are taught this from, well, <laughs> girls are taught this from a very young age. Um, and Korea absolutely is massive on skin whitening, even more so I've heard than Japan. It's shocking how prevalent it is in pretty much the entire non-white world. Because even in the Middle East, it's huge. They have skin yeah. whitening products there too. Of course, as we know, colorism is a big thing in uh, you know, the black community too. So it's not something that is just Indian or South Asian. And that is what I really have a problem with, that it's actually something so big that the world is not doing enough to address it. And secondly, there's sexism and colorism. So it's something that only women have to put up with. Um, and as I said in one of my articles, another ism that we have to deal with, you know, it's like a double whammy for women. In terms of, I'm gonna take you back to that six year old self, when your auntie says that, somebody mm. who's, who's close to you, what goes, through your head emotionally and mentally at that point? It didn't bother me so much that it was an aunt who said it. It was what was said to me. Do you know what I mean? Um, because yeah. I didn't really see my aunt as an aunt, if you, if you know what I mean. Like you don't understand relations that well, right? In your world yeah. as a six-year-old, your relations are only your parents, your immediate family. So an aunt and, and you know, aunt's aunt and you know, aunts, uncles, aunts, nephews, niece, doesn't matter, right? Um, yeah. But it was what was said to me was so, so uh, painful and that I still remember it as a six-year-old. And I was heartbroken because firstly, I was reminded of my color. And from that day on, I started seeing color as one of the first things in other people. Oh, I was told I'm Kali. So is that, you know, the one I've just seen here, is that Kali? Is she Kali or is she fairer than me? Or actually we're the same skin tone. Actually, no, I'm slightly fairer. I used to start comparing in my head. And the second thing that I was made very, very kind of, you know, uh, uh, aware of is that I can't get into Bollywood, that certain industries and certain careers are out of reach because of my skin. That, that's it. Just because of my skin. That's the important word, right? Just because of my skin. So that's how it's impacted me, to answer your question. It's still, it still hurts. At what age, I think, like, obviously we all deal with self-esteem issues, and I'm sure you have mm. continues, and we all continuously work through things. But at what age would you say you, or you're still working on accepting can I say this? I, uh, please correct me if I'm saying it incorrectly or if I disrespect you. The pigmentation of your skin tone. Um, like at what at what point yeah. have you made it? Okay, this is this is beautiful. This is me. I'm I'm you know. It's not easy, right? I'm 43 now, and I have been through a hell of a journey. Um, for more than three and a half decades, I've been through colorism, right? And it's the complex is so deeply ingrained. And because it's so overtly discussed in India and amongst Indians, color, color, color is constantly talked about, that you can't run away from it. There is no place to hide. There is, and you know, you just kind of grow, either grow immune to it or you succumb, like in my case, to parent screens. So as I've described in like other interviews, it's almost like a drug. You reach out for that cream and, you know, or like a cigarette, you know, you want to, you want to grab it. You want to use it. Right. And it literally takes brainwashing and cleansing your mind 
to not reach out for that cream and not succumb to it. I'll give you, I'll give you an example. Just two days ago, when I took my glasses off, Amit said to yeah. me, he goes, oh, you tanned. And as soon as he said that, I went, really, really? Oh, oh my God, have I tanned? <laughs> and I suddenly went, oh, no. why am I worried? I'm supposed to be on this, on a mission. Because it comes back to you. It haunts you, right? You're still thinking about color. And you have to remind yourself, like, like somebody practically going through rehab in a, in, you know, as a drug addict, um, you have to remind yourself, no, it's okay. It's okay to be tanned. It's all right. It's just color. It doesn't matter. And actually, you should be glad that you're tanned because you live in the UK. That means that you've had some sun on your face. <laughs> that is true. Right? Um, that, so to answer your question, that's how deep the impact is, that yeah. I'm still fighting it. There are days where, you know, I can be walking around with a you know, passive protest board in my hands and protesting outside, you know, the parliament of India and whatever saying, and colorism and all that. And then I find myself thinking like this about being tanned two days later, mm. right? So it's like you're on autopilot and you keep going back and you have to keep reminding yourself. And so I did mention it to somebody else in another podcast, like when she said, it's not that easy. I said, trust me, if anybody knows it's not that easy, I know it's not that easy because I keep yeah. reverting back to that. But you have to keep fighting it. That's all you can do. Just keep fighting it. Do you think if <clears throat> last year in regards mm. to you talk about George Floyd and how that affected you and that led for you to write your first draft for the Black Rose. But do you think if that situation didn't happen, that you would be writing a book or mm. at all like having these thoughts and these conversations? Uh, yes, yeah. Um, I have wanted to write for a long time. One of the key um, turning points was actually back in 2016, when my daughter Reina caught me buying a fairness cream in Thailand, red-handed, and I didn't have anything to say. I literally had no words. I couldn't explain myself to her. And she, as you can imagine, in a nine-year-old's world, everything is black and white, right? Yeah. And she wanted to know, why are you buying this cream, mommy? Are you not happy with your color? Well, you tell us that you should be happy with who you are. So why are you not happy with who you are? I got caught red-handed, and that's actually how I start my book just admitting that hypocrisy, what I'm preaching to my child and what yet what I'm doing to myself. As a mother, preaching to a child is like the worst hypocrite, right? You're a mother. Because I don't even realize that I'm doing it. That's the, that's the problem with fairness screens. You don't actually feel like you're doing anything wrong or forget about fairness screens, just wanting to become fairer. That idea of wanting to become fairer. You don't feel like you're doing anything wrong because that's what society tells you. There's nothing wrong in wanting to be fairer. That's what they believe, <laughs> right? So anyway, long story short, I start off with that chapter because that was one of the key moments for me because that's where I actually first unraveled my entire story by a poolside on the sunbeds with Reina in Thailand. And I went through my entire story with her. This is why, and this is how mummy is made to believe this way. And this is why it's taken so many years. And then I came back to London. And of course, what do you do? You conveniently forget. <laughs> <laughs> So that's what happened. I conveniently forgot. And I ended up with those creams again in my bathroom cabinet, even though I felt the guilt. And every time I reached out for them, you know, I would be reminded of Reina and her catching me red-handed. But I just kind of thought, oh, well, I just need to learn to hide it better. <laughs> <laughs> um, but because of George Floyd's death and racism and then widespread discussions on colorism, and, you know, of course, 
many other black people unfortunately have lost their lives in the UK and in America before George Floyd. But it, it does take sometimes just that one incident, right? And it's not fair to the others who lost their lives in vain, who probably were not even discovered or talked about. Having said that, at least with George Floyd, like, you know, the whole world did start talking about it. And, you know, when, when things are too close to home uh, in my lifetime, that was the biggest event. That's when I had that moment of realization. And I realized that actually by aspiring to be fairer, I'm implicitly validating white supremacy because I want to look like that. Don't you think it's also at the opposition of that? It's it's a bit random that there's these sun tanning creams and then there is people who just want to look tanned to be a certain yeah. amount of thing. And people always talked about this sun-kissed glow. And, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's ironic, isn't it? That the, the grass is always greener on the other side, right? Yeah. Um, and funnily enough, I've talked about that in my chapter because when I'm in Thailand by the poolside, I have an English couple next to me or topping up their tanning lotion. And I have got the fairness cream in my hand, my little sunbag, my little beach bag. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's ironic, right? Um, but <laughs> what do you do? I mean, in fact, funny enough, you've actually um, just summarized my next post because I have a post prepared with yeah. a Garnier uh, sun tanning lotion and Garnier yeah. fairness cream. Same company. Oh, uh, yeah, that is true. Two opposite products. Um, yeah. Quickly, in one word, before we play some games, yeah. what has been the biggest challenge, would you say? Balancing life in terms of family, friends, and everything mm. with all your projects, or mm. one of your projects, which is excluding family and love everything and yourself, which has been 3B, Devon Ollie, or The Black Rose? Wow. Uh... <laughs> million dollar question <laughs> really put me on the spot here. um balance i've never um to be honest i've never really thought about it as as balancing and juggling i just i think when you're a mother and uh, you know a wife and yourself um, yeah <laughs> and and a mother and your daughter you just don't even realize which hat you've got on when and you just yeah. do it um, and I sounds really like, you know, I'm making it sound very easy, but I think it's not just a woman, right? I mean, like, look at yourself. You're an actor, you're a dancer. You, you do these amazing podcasts that you are so passionate about. You do these um, sessions with so many people that you find that you take the time to find and you cook, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> we, we, I think what's, what is amazing about us humans is that we are all multifaceted. And yes. we have that skill to juggle, balance everything uh, in our capacity, right? And you also have that innate ability to realize when you're, you may be overdoing it and when you've got a bit too much on. And I think that is also very important to recognize. So when I realized that I was doing too much with 3B and kids being so little, I realized as painful as it was, I have to wrap that up. You 
All right, Shweta, the time has come for you to play some games. This is the section where we have some fun, some laughter. This is the section which I like to call... Super Child, play with rice! Is we're going to play some games, and if you don't want to do, you sip your chai, but if you play, you play with rice. The first segment is called What Would You Rather, and it's going to be very rapid fire round, okay? What would you rather, jalebi or gulab jamun? Gulab jamun, any day. <laughs> Are you a morning person or a night owl? Shri Devi night owl. or Madhuri Dixit? Shri Devi. Rekha or Jaya Bachchan? Mm, Rekha. <laughs> Critical acclaim or being rich and famous? Critical acclaim. Oh, okay. City breaks or beachy vacations? <laughs> oh, beachy, definitely beachy vacations right now. <laughs> and this one I always love to ask because I'm intrigued by the answer. Equal rights, peace. God, that's a difficult one. I would say world peace. Oh, wow. I always say this is a tricky one. Why? Because if you have equal rights for everybody, that leads to world peace. Yeah, I agree, but I disagree at the same time because it's that, <laughs> that straightforward. It ain't, it ain't. Yeah. Politics isn't that easy. All right. Um, I'm going to ask you if you were the following. You're just basically going to say what you were. So like if I was like, if, if you were a color, what would you be, you say? Okay. If you were a movie, okay, if there was a movie about you, what would the title be? The Black Rose. <laughs> Okay, what would the title song be? And sing it. Oh my goodness. Okay, so this is my favorite song uh, right now. Um, it's No, you have to make up a song. You have to make up a song. What? No, I can't make up something. This is your title song of the Black Rose. Well, I mean, it would be the Black Rose. <laughs> something, something. How would it go? I'm dancing for you. How would it go? Oh, no, no. Hang on. Can I just say it would be Black or White by Michael Jackson? No, because... That's just like... Shwada, you're destroying. Sip your chai. Sip your chai. <laughs> yeah, I'm totally destroying it. <laughs> what would the storyline be? <laughs> the the story of colorism and what the story is, you know, of the Black Rose. With, a, with, the with maybe a little bit of Bollywood masala in it. What happens at the end? Colorism ends? Ooh. Um, hmm. No. I think you just grow stronger. And, and with you, you help other people grow stronger. And that's how colorism ends. You can't, you can't shut down, for example, like, you know, the beauty industry, right? You can't ask them to ban all their products and, you know, withdraw all their items, right, from the shelves. But if you are strong enough in your own uh, mindset, then you don't go and buy their products, their, their demand decreases, then they automatically have to uh, change to the, uh, well, yeah. <laughs> it's a movie about a young girl. Who would it start? Oh, uh... Right. I'm thinking, well, because it's about the Black Rose and it's about, you know, dark skinned um, uh, girls and, 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 and like me, but also because the, because she is an amazing artist, I would say Mindy, Mindy Kaling. Kaling. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I like Mindy <laughs> Kaling. Um, if you were yeah. a drink, what would you be? Pina colada. Um, if you were a food, yeah. what would you be? Chole. If you were a clothing item, what would you be? <laughs> Uh, I'm really boring like that. I, would, I just love workout leggings. <laughs> okay. If you were a holiday vacation, how would you be? Oh, sorry. What would you be? What would you be? Maldives. Okay. If you were a dance pose, what would you be? It would be a, it would be a tumka. It would be a tumka. If you were a character in a book or movie, what would you be? Alice in Wonderland. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. All right. I am going to... Um, this next section is called Write <laughs> on Me. Okay. 
I'm going to give you a person who's mm. either a politician, a celebrity or somebody, and you have to give me a book name inspired by them. Okay. And a quick little like soundbite of what the book is about. Okay. Okay. Got it. Your first celebrity yeah. is Raj Kapoor. Raj Kapoor. Um, okay. Merana Joker would be his book name. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Okay. The Queen. A day in the life of Her Majesty. Okay. That's, I feel like that's a really good novel. I feel like that's a great novel. Sergeant, the actress. Yeah. Oh, uh, what's that song of hers? Which is, which is bizarre because she doesn't have black eyes, but it was made on her. Ye ka Ye ka 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 <laughs> okay. Boris Johnson. Dude, where's my barber? <laughs> God. Um, <laughs> Prime Minister Modi. This one is difficult. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, I'm you can do this. Correct, but you know, you can do this. You can do this. Feeling right now about him. Um, that's it. Abdulli Durney. Oh, that's a nice. Tra that's a nice one. And lastly, yeah. Sri Devi. Well, I mean, Sri Devi, you've got to have a book called Hava Hawaii, right? <laughs> I like that. I like that. All right, this is your last section of the game. I am so sorry to interrupt again, but we were just doing the section which is called Sip a Chai and Play with Rai. And in the game sections of the show, there are some segments which are visual, so it would not have made sense on podcast form. So if you would like to watch any of the visuals <laughs> or the video, simply go to YouTube and just type in Chai with Rai to find the relevant episode. Also, I will link everything in the bio or the description below. But without further ado, let's get back to the end of the show. What words would you say to your mirror self today, Shweta? If you looked in the mirror today, what words of wisdom would you say to your mirror self today? So I live by this motto, sink or swim. And there is really, there are two options in life, um, sink or swim, and sinking is not an option. And that's what I tell myself every time I feel down about every anything. What's the give and what does the future hold? Like, what is the ultimate give for you? Um, to be honest, I haven't really looked beyond that. I haven't thought about anything beyond that because I'm so consumed by um, working on the next Devin Ollie book as well as The Black Rose at the moment that I can't actually see beyond that. I've even like not applied for jobs um, for that reason because I'm now committed to these two things. Yeah. Um, so. I really don't know. I don't, uh, if, I mean, 2022, I might not suddenly have anything to do because Devin Ollie books are out and the Black Rose is out and I'm, you know, promoting, but it only takes like, you know, half a week to promote and the remaining two and a half days, I've got nothing to do. And I will probably figure it out then. But right now, I've, I feel like I've got enough on my plate, so I don't want to think about it because I want to do this justice, if you know what I mean. Got it. There will be the Pixar movie or the Disney movie about Dev and Ollie. <laughs> and well, I, I, I have always wanted you to come up with a kid's onesie line for Dev and Ollie. And I heavily say that to you all the time. I don't know why you haven't done that. And that would be one of the things I would push you to do. That's a very good idea, actually. And I'd forgotten about that, that you had mentioned that to me. Yeah, I think you should. I should. I think. I, I think you should. Devon Ollie match. I should, I should create one that says Devon Ollie, New York Public Library, right? <laughs> Boom. 
There you go. Um, peaks and valleys is a question I ask all my uh, all my guests. A peak is a high point of their life, personal, professional. What was it? What lesson they learned mm. from it? And a valley is a low point of your personal, mm. professional life. And what was it? And what lesson you learned from it? So the, I'll start with the low because I think we've discussed that already. Already, right? That I felt flat yeah. on my face with um, Devin Ollie and just kind of wanting to run before I could walk. Yeah. This is okay. This is hilarious. I've got one of my kittens sitting between my two legs right here when I'm kneeling down. You got down a cat? I've got two, <laughs> and they've both been here the entire time. Oh God! <laughs> um, the the peaks. So the peaks have got to be Britain's Got Talent. Um, absolutely. Um, the journey was extremely difficult. The rehearsals, uh, the the amount of blood, sweat, and tears that went into it, um, to the final day where the order of the performances was suddenly changed. We were supposed to be the second last act to perform, um, the seventh act, because there are only eight acts in a day uh, in, in one mm -hmm. performance, right, one evening. And then we were then told that we are doing the opening act. We're doing the first one. And so that obviously, as you can imagine, you know, the pressure that you feel, the added pressure. Um, what I learned is, um, how would I? Right, so it's quite easy to crumble under pressure, isn't it? Um, and it's extremely difficult when you've got like, when you're managing a team and you're running a team and you've got, you know, not just your team looking at, at you, but you've got these super powerful producers looking at you as well. And you're trying to kind of be the middle person, right? Um, what I learned actually from Britain's Got Talent is that I was a nobody. And actually it was just the dancers that they wanted and not me because I wasn't in the choreography, they actually said to me, we don't want you on camera, we don't want your face. So 3D is them, not you. And that was really upsetting to hear, um, to the point where I was like liaising with lawyers and everything. And you know, the lesson I learned was sometimes you have to let go or sacrifice um, only for the betterment of the company, as in 3B, yeah. not me. Yeah, and so, as much as I was trying to fight it, I realized that, I, you know, they are the ones who've got the power. And if I want to be on Britain for Talent, I have to step back. And that was a huge lesson for me, a huge one, because it's a lesson of sacrifice. Um, I forgot to ask you this question. Is, is it okay if, before we end the show, if I ask you this, which is, I always ask the guests this, if take away the support of your family and take away your gravitas and your confidence in yourself, would you still continue to do what you do? That is a really difficult question to answer because the one thing that keeps you going with anything, anything that you persevere through is your own confidence, right? So if my yeah. own confidence is shaken and taken away from me, then, then I can't do anything, whether it's Devin Ollie or the Black Rose or Britain Got Talent or Freebie. So without your confidence, you have nothing. You can't persevere through anything. So. Yeah, I mean, that's how I would answer that question, to be honest. Mm. Any advice to people there who struggle and sometimes who don't have a lack of support and are always are trying to, you know, either be an author or run their company or just survive day to day basis, not necessarily be in the entertainment industry? What words of wisdom would you give to them for advice? Well, um, believe in yourself, uh, yeah. firstly. Is, is extremely important. Um, be realistic. 
with your, you know, with your goals and, and take baby steps. Um, I think, you know, like me, I've learned, right? I, we've discussed this already, like you have these huge, big dreams. Um, and yes, it's good to have big dreams because you want to get to that big dream, but ultimately, not immediately. And that is, I feel personally, one of the biggest lessons I have learned. And I would definitely advise that to anybody who's out there wanting to become somebody that get there gradually and ultimately, uh -huh. not immediately. Don't expect for, for, you know, kind of fruitful returns immediately. Well, everyone, that brings us to an end and I hope you enjoyed that. I want to say a massive thank you to the guest for joining me, for being so generous with their time and for being so open. As well, I want to say a massive thank you to you for listening and supporting. Make sure to comment, share and subscribe if you enjoyed that episode. Share it with your uncle, your auntie, your neighbor, your co-worker, that random person you like to dial on for a booty call. You know the one I mean? But really, your support means a lot and it helps the show and the message of it grow. As well, you can find the pre-recorded live version on YouTube. Simply type in Chai with Rai to find the relevant episodes video. I will pop all of the information down, such as the guest social media, their website, alongside that in the bio in the description. Make sure to show all of that some love too. That's it for now. Until the next episode, I wish you all love and light. Breathe in, breathe out. Namaskar. <laughs> Which means now I must go. Again, copyright it. Until the next time, everyone, stay curious.